Hello, everybody. However you're listening to us, whether it's online, podcast, or even while you're making dinner, so glad you get to sit back and enjoy uh, this sermon on Joshua chapter 5 over the next half hour. Let's pray and dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are absolutely in control. And however, we as a church family and any of our friends who are listening to us can hear the good news of the gospel from Joshua chapter 5. And so as we sit back and listen, whether it's in front of our TVs or while we make dinner or even as we drive the car, may you be glorified. May our ears be open to what you want to say to us, our eyes open so that we can see you more clearly, and our minds and hearts open so that we might know and respond in a way that glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I was baptized in 1996. There I was, a skinny little teenager standing in front of a large church terrified with about to share my testimony. I'm not sure whose crazy idea it was to say, you should picture an entire audience in their underwear, because that wasn't helpful at all. So I just picked up my script and I stared at the notes so I didn't have to look at the intimidating people in front of me. Now, I grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved me, who loved God, and lived that out for both my sisters and myself. But one of the challenges in growing in a, up in a home like that is that you don't actually know when you became a Christian. Was it while you were on that preschool trip with mom and dad and I was going over to Winnipeg? Was it when I was a junior high student and had an incredible youth pastor? Or maybe it was even during summer day camp. I don't know. In my previous environment, we would call that a progressive experience or a distinct event. Sure, whatever. What I do know is that when I was in grade nine, about to finish junior high, I was all in. After the baptism service, my mom invited a few people over. We had a great lunch together, and she gave me this poster that said from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I had committed my life to Jesus. I was a leader in my youth group. And whatever happened next, I was all in for Jesus. The very next day at school, I managed to get out early for lunch. I grabbed my little brown bag, found a spot for me and my friends to hang out with, and I waited for them to join me. Sitting there all by myself, a couple other junior high kids walked by and said loud enough for me to hear, Look at the loser sitting completely by himself. I don't remember if my feelings were hurt or not, but what I remember is this. So it begins. That wasn't the first thought that came through my mind. My first thought was actually, junior high kids are jerks. And then I thought, so it begins. It would be easy to discount this story and say something like, Dave, get real. You were in junior high. Everybody gets called names in junior high. And you're absolutely right. Maybe being called a name now at 35 or 45 or 55 years old isn't a big deal for you. But in junior high, your world revolves around that social acceptance. Does your crush like you back? Will you make friends? Will you make the school basketball team? But maybe social acceptance still is a big deal for you. Will my coworkers embrace me? How am I going to fit into the seniors club? And how long before I find a church that will accept me for the way I am? But perhaps the challenges you face are a little bit different in nature. Will I get into university? Will this social anxiety ever go away? Will I find a job in this economy? How do I heal broken relationships? When will my business turn around? And will the NHL come back in time for playoffs? Whatever the challenges we face, real victory rests in our dependence on God. 
And so whether you're listening at home or whether you're uh, preparing lunch, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. And as you follow along on your devices, allow me to tell you what it is that's taking place. God has miraculously rescued the Israelites from Egypt. And once Pharaoh and his army realize what has taken place, they chase them across the land and towards the Red Sea. With a river in front of them and a furious army behind them, God once again does the miraculous. He parts the Red Sea so that the Israelites can walk across on dry ground and then crushes the Egyptian army behind them as the waters come filling in. As the Israelites stand on the other side, witnessing the destruction of their enemies, they sing praises to the God who's rescued them. But those praises soon turn to grumbling. After everything God has done, the Israelites find themselves able to complain about things over and over again. So God sentences them to 40 years of wandering around in the desert. And yet during this time, his miraculous provision continues more and more. They receive food from heaven every morning. Their clothes and footwear never wear out. And God's presence is with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud uh, fire by night. True to his word, as the 40 years come to an end, an entire generation passes away and the Israelites find themselves standing before another body of water. Not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River. And last week, Pastor Mel walked us through the end of one chapter of Israelite history and turned the page into a brand new chapter. No longer are the Israelites going to be wandering in the desert. They have arrived at the promised land that was promised to them by their father Abraham. But today is not a day of conquest. Today is a day of preparation. And so I want you to come with me on this journey. It won't be a typical type of teaching time. I want you to pretend that you are sitting with me on the west bank of the Jordan River. There would be nobody in this place over the age of 60. The 40 years of being sent to the desert happened to everybody 20 years and older, which means the oldest part of our fellowship would be 59 years of age. If you're over the age of 45, you probably remember escaping from Egypt and the pounding horses, hooves, and Pharaoh's armies as they chased you down. You remember standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai, waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. And you remember the providence of God every day for the last 40 years. Are you under the age of 45? You've heard stories about the plagues in Egypt, although you were not there to experience any of them. How God turned the river to blood, sent swarms of flies, and covered the land in darkness. You've been told that God passed over all the Israelites who had blood on their door frames, but you weren't there to experience it. And so you wonder, what is going to happen next? Here's the passage that we ended off with last week, chapter 4, verses 23 and following. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he had dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so you might always fear the Lord your God. As we watch, each each tribe has one member come and place down the memorial stone. And sitting there on the west banks of the Jordan, entering the promised land for the first time, we wonder, What is God going to do next? When the Amorite kings and those west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard the Lord had dried up the Jordan before us that we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face us. 
It turns out that our spies that Joshua sent into Canaan were absolutely true. They fear us. And so obviously this is the beginning of something great. When is this conquest going to begin? When does God perform another miracle? When do we see our enemies quake with fear? And as we head back to our tents, we could not be more excited about what God is going to do next. It's going to be epic. It turns out it is. But it's not a day of conquest. It's an epic day of preparation. There were rumors in the camp that started going around that God wanted to renew the relationship with us. And do you know how he's going to do that? He's going to circumcise the entire male nation under the age of 40. I like Joshua, but come on, man. Do you understand what you're asking? He's asking us to take knives made of flint and cut off part of our anatomy. We're not ready for this. Then Melvin the fair shows up and gathers together all the tribes, and this is what we read in verses 4 to 7. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that had come out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their father to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised us up, their sons in the place. And these are the ones that will be circumcised today. Yeah, easy for Melvin to say he's over the age of 40. I think he looked at us with this glint in his eye and a little bit of smile. He already had been circumcised. That's not fair. You know how old I am? 39. 30 stinking nine. My parents have been married for 42 years. Couldn't they have had me just a year earlier so that I wouldn't have to have this minor surgery? So I looked at my wife for a little bit of sympathy. Well, that's not going to help. She said, I pushed out three babies. The least you could do for this covenant is take one for the team. This wasn't going to be pretty. Some men started to grab some sharp metal knives and then Joshua told us it had to be a knife made of flint, this hard sedimentary rock that was used for shaping and manufacturing tools way back in the Stone Age. I don't know about you, but I had some questions here. As far as I was concerned, there were two groups. One group who said, let's just get this over with. And another group who said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's negotiate and see if that's really that important. It turns out I wasn't the only one. So some of the historians brought together Rabbi Rick, and he began by reminding us the story of Father Abraham. He said, God promised to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are, an uh, an alien. I will give an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. We have to admit, this is a pretty amazing promise. We're literally standing in the land that God has promised us. That nation that began with just Abraham and Sarah was now over two million people. And a blessing? God has provided for us every day and will continue to do so. But the covenant has two sides. And the second side is the side 
none of us men really wanted to hear. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Oh boy. Are you familiar with those five stages of grief, the stage we've gone through already, denial? This can't possibly be true. And then that changes to anger. Are you sure you want to do this? This can't be happening. The third stage is bargaining. Well, maybe some bargaining will work. God, maybe we don't have to do a circumcision right. Maybe we can just grow our hair out a little bit funny. Would that work? Maybe we can leave our fields with a little bit of extra fruit for people who need it. Maybe we can do a circumcision of the heart. Would any of those work? None of them were accepted. God wanted an outward sign of entrance into the covenant community. And while it might sound a little bit crass, one of the things that we were told during that time was that a little Jewish boy, whenever he would go to the bathroom, would be reminded, I'm different. I belong to the covenant community. It's also a reminder to both the Jewish men and their wives that whenever they're intimate together, we are a different people, a people set apart for God. Because today is not a day of conquest. Today is a day of preparation. And do you know how long it takes to heal from adult circumcision? Two to three weeks. Here we are in a brand new land in which the Amorite kings and the Canaanite kings don't want to have anything to do with us. And we are going to be surgically sidelined for two to three weeks. And then a rumor started to happen through the camp. A rumor that I think actually started with Joshua and then to the leaders of the tribes and then eventually down to us. A rumor in which God had said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is great news. This were, there was a cloud hanging over us. The Egyptians mocked us for escaping only to wander in the desert. They mocked us for trusting a God that hadn't held up his end of the bargain. They mocked us for bitterness and contempt but we've arrived. The waters were split as we exited Egypt and the waters were split as we entered the promised land. Our relationship had been renewed and now it's time for that redemption to re be remembered. See, it turns out that God didn't have just the practice of the memorial stones and not just the practice of circumcision, but he had a third thing he wanted us to practice as well. One more practice for remembrance. Three days ago, we had the surgery. Today, we were reminded that it was time to practice Passover. For on the 14th day of the first month, our parents in Egypt practiced Passover for the first time. And here we are in Canaan on the 14th day of the first month. So Rabbi Rick again brings us all together. Not nearly as many men this time as most of us were still recovering, but he looked at all who were present and he said, when I was just a young boy, my parents and your parents were told by Moses to slaughter a young lamb, take that blood, and paint it over the door frames of our homes. And that very night, God would pass over all of Egypt. It was a blood that was on the door of your homes. God, if, God, if the blood was there, God would pass over. And if he was not, the firstborn animals and sons would be killed. 
Our parents were told that very night to eat bread without yeast, for there would not be enough time for it to rise, and we would have to leave quickly. As we entered the land God promised to Abraham so many years ago, we were to remember the same promise all over again. Remember the day that God rescued you from Egypt. Remember that it's God who brought us into Canaan. We must never forget that it is God who saves us. In great pain and great discomfort, much like our parents, we celebrated Passover on the 14th day of the first month. Our parents having their last meal on this last day in Egypt and us having this meal for the first time in one of our first days in Canaan. Our status has changed forever. We were renters for a long time, and now we're owners. We were traveling nomads, now we have a permanent residence, and this new chapter has begun. The next day, we ate the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain, and the manna stopped. From that point on, we would never see manna again, but enjoy the produce of Canaan. It was a great reminder to us that God has been faithful to bring us out of Egypt. God has been faithful in providing food and daily provisions. God has been faithful through his presence, faithful in his rescue, faithful in his promise. This whole time, God has been faithful. It's a time of conquest. It's a time of preparation. As a brand new chapter opens up in front of us, this is not a time to fear the unknown but to remember the one who saved us, remember the one who continually provides for us. We can look back at our lives and say, do you remember when God was at work? Do you remember when God brought water from the rock? Do you remember when God defeated the kings of Sihon and Og? Do you remember how he brought us from one home to another? This is a time to remember that real victory rests in our dependence with God. Speaking of victory, There's a story that's been going around, a story that we all believe to be true, but a story so wonderful we can hardly wrap our minds around it. A story that would resolve our reliance on God, and this is the story we heard. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, this man replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did. How crazy is this? Here's our own military commander. It sounds like he's on a recon mission all by himself. We don't know if this is the middle of the day. We don't know if it's happening in the middle of the night. But as he comes up to the city of Jericho, he meets another military commander with sword drawn. Let me say that again. He runs into another military commander with a sword drawn. This guy isn't simply dressed for battle. He's flat out ready for battle. And our commander-in-chief, strong and courageous as always, looks him in the eye and says, are you for us or against us? I wonder if Joshua was ready to fight him right there. Anyway, Joshua receives an answer he was no way expecting. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And there it is the leader of Israel's army, meaning the leader of God's army. Obviously, I wasn't there, but I imagine that there must have been a pause for a moment of awe and wonder as Joshua knelt down 
and started worshiping this man. And then he takes off his sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. The exact same words that God said in a burning bush to Moses a number of years before. Look, I know this is crazy. I know not everybody believes me, but a large group of us are saying this military commander was God himself. Why else would Joshua bow down and worship him? Why else would he say the exact same thing to Moses? Why else would he be wandering in the land between us and Jericho? One thing I know for sure. It's not a day of conquest. It's a day of preparation for real victory rests in our dependence on God. Let's take a step back from Canaan for a moment. In Joshua chapter 1, we get this incredible speech. It almost feels like a prep rally. Here we are waiting to enter the land of Canaan. And Joshua keeps saying to us over and over again, be strong and courageous. In the very next chapter, in chapter 2, Mel so wonderfully walked us through the story of Rahab. And a beautiful story, a beautiful sermon, but we're waiting to get into Canaan. Last week, again, we're expecting to get across that river and into the promised land. And today, again, we're saying, when does this conquest begin? But it's not a day of conquest. It's a day of preparation. As we'll see next week in Joshua chapter 6, the fall of Jericho, it is God who fights for Israel, and that they cannot win on their own, and it's God who can defeat our ultimate enemy of sin and death, and we cannot win this fight on our own. Jesus is the one who does battle for us. Jesus is the one who um, battles for us. Jesus is the one who's ultimately cut off. Think about the incredible trust that Israel must have placed in God. Upon setting foot in the promised land, they were making a declaration of war. There's a host of Amorite kings on the west bank of the Jordan River waiting for them. Behind them, a wave of Canaanite kings between the the Amorite kings and the Mediterranean Sea. But the battle preparation has nothing to do with the military. But performing a minor surgery on themselves and being out of commission for two to three weeks. Why? Because real victory rests in our dependence on God. Friends, it's no different for us. Only Jesus can defeat the enemy of sin and death. Only a perfect, spotless, blameless sacrifice can save God's children. And it was during the Passover feast that Jesus was taken away. His body broken so that ours would be made whole. His blood shed on the cross to cover our sins. He was cut off from the Father that we might be made a covenant people. And as followers of Jesus, we know that our victory rests in our dependence on God. But how do we practice that? How do we live out this preparation of this conquest? It's time to renew that relationship. Good news for the men in the room. If you were not circumcised as a boy, you don't have to get circumcised now. Over and over and over again, the New Testament makes that abundantly clear. But in case you need proof, here we go. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In the book of Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. There's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. 
And what really matters, writes the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, and not by written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. The practice we look for today is not one of circumcision, but one of baptism. See, God isn't looking for a change of anatomy, but a change of heart. And some of us, like the Israelites, have a little catching up to do. We say we follow Jesus. We say that we believe in God. We say we're full of the Spirit, but we haven't followed one of the first commandments to be baptized. It's time. How can you expect the fullness of God's victory if you haven't prepared? Take a Connect card from the pew racks in front of you or fill one out online. We would love to talk to you about baptism. But the second part of renewing that relationship with God is the same thing that you would do with a spouse or a friend. Just talk to them. Every day the Israelites had to depend on God's goodness for manna. Every day we talk to our spouse or to our closest friends face to face over the phone or through text. And every day God wants to hear from you. If you don't know where to start, we have five base camp readings in our bulletin every single week. We always ask you read the passage that was preached about on Monday, on Sunday. And this week, the Old Testament readings are on the covenant made with Abraham and the first Passover in Egypt. The New Testament readings about Jesus sending out his disciples into new life and what that life is going to look like with Jesus. We also have some terrific resources on our website about how to read the Bible, how to pray, and what kind of Bible reading plans might be valuable. The second thing we do is we remember our redemption. As a general rule, we celebrate communion on the first Sunday of every month. But have you ever stopped to realize how it engages all of our senses? As we come to the communion table, we hear and are reminded of what Jesus has done for us. That while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. When we walk into either of the auditoriums, we see the table laid out before us. The bread representing the broken body, the juice representing the blood that was shed. We hold the elements in our hands, touching the bread, smelling the juice, and tasting them both as we are reminded of this incredible sacrifice. And every week as the preacher walks us through the message that morning, unpacking the context, the language, the culture, the grand story, before pointing us to Jesus and the great work that he has done. You see, whatever the challenges, whatever the circumstances, we are reminded every week of our redemption and the greatness of Jesus because ultimate victory rests in him. Does a pandemic like COVID-19 seem overwhelming? Remember, so did entering the land of Canaan for the nation of Israel. How are we going to conquer all these kings, all these nations, thought Israel. And we might be sitting at home, we might be preparing dinner, we might be in our cars, and we ask the same question. What does these next few weeks and months look like with COVID-19? And this passage from Joshua chapter 5 reminds us to do the exact same thing that we are to do today. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Prepare yourselves for the victory that we know is ultimately coming. For Jesus is the one who saves us. God is the one who rescues us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who lives inside us and empowering us. 
Even though we go through times of change, God is still at work in us. By natural means or spiritual, God is leading us as we walk with him. Whether it be in the wilderness, whether it be crossing the Jordan, or entering the promised land, where we are reminded of those incredible verses from Joshua chapter 1. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you <coughs> wherever you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Victory is coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we get so focused on the fight that we forget to prepare ourselves. May this chapter from Joshua 5 be a reminder that we are to prepare ourselves for victory. Prepare ourselves for working with you, for you are the one who will lead us. You are the one who is in charge, and you are the one who will overcome. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.